Right. Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to uh, Romans chapter 10. We're continuing in our sermon series in the book of Romans, and it's great to have the uh, KidZone kids in with us for the service today. Um, I'm not going to bring any kids up front today, and I'm not going to call any kids the devil today. Uh, I thought that was a good idea. I, I think it went really well, but it's kind of really awkward. You know, when you have to pick one cute little kid to be the devil, it's like, how do I, how, you know, so the parents said, yeah, no, pick my kid. He's definitely no, just kidding. They didn't do that. Uh, but we're, as we continue this series here, um, what I want us to do is really kind of my desire for our message time today is really to help each and every one of us, regardless of our age, um, to really help us grow in our faith and understanding of how God has called us and asked us to live as followers of Jesus. Because that, that's why we do this. You know, like the whole point of kind of gathering together in church like this and having to listen to me for like 40 minutes, it, it's not about just teaching for teaching's sake. But here as a church, we preach the word of God so that it actually changes us. So that we see that how we're living, does how I live my life outside of this building actually line up to the way God would have me live as a follower of Jesus in this world. So we don't come up with witty sermon series to just simply attract and entertain people. Like we use the word of God because I firmly believe that this changes people's lives. And I can say that as a personal testimony because I was reading this book as a non-believer, as someone who didn't believe in God, as someone who hated the church, as someone who wanted nothing to do with God. And I was reading it to simply disprove the existence of God. (laughs) And then God stepped in and changed my life. That's what the word of God does. And so I want you to think... Again, whether you're a child, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a senior, no matter where you are in your faith journey and where you are in life, I want you to think for a moment, can you remember when you first heard about Jesus? That's awesome. Why don't you just think about that? You remember when you first heard about, I'm not even saying when you believed in Jesus, But can you remember when you first heard about Jesus? Maybe for some of you, it was from your parents. Maybe from some of you, it was in kids ministry, youth ministry. Maybe some of you, you heard it from me. You heard it from another pastor, a friend, a family member. At some point, you heard about Jesus. Now, those of you who can remember that, and I realize a lot of us may not remember the first time we heard about Jesus. Some of us we remember it very clearly. And for those of us who remember it clearly, I have a follow-up question. When you first heard about Jesus, was it good news? Or was it bad news? Was the way Jesus was presented to you was your life is a train wreck and you're a total mess and a total disaster And God hates you. But here's the good news. That God hates you so much that he sent his one and only son so that you can clean up your life and get your act together. And then maybe the church will like you. 
That's not true. Thank you. Somebody goes, okay, yeah, I read that in my Bible last night. You're never going to read that in your Bible. That God hates you, and you better clean up your life in order to meet the expectations of the church you want to attend. But yet, sadly, so many people, that is their first experience with Jesus. That you're not welcome here. That you have no place in the family of God until you clean up your life, until you follow all the rules, until you dress like me, act like me, talk like me, behave like me, believe like me, then maybe I'll welcome you. Like, I find it surprising. We, we kind of look at younger generations in our culture today, and we're shocked that they want nothing to do with Jesus. And I wonder if the reason that they sh- want nothing to do with Jesus is because the message that they've heard about Jesus is bad news. Why would I ever want to be like those people? See, that's what Romans 10 addresses for us today. And I'm going to go through Romans chapter 10. And if you really let Romans 10 speak to you this morning, I firmly believe as followers of Jesus, Romans chapter 10 should completely and totally wreck us as followers of Jesus. I can't promise I won't cry in this message. Because as I've been reading Romans 10, now I had the benefit of reading Romans 10 um, in Hawaii. So maybe it was like the ocean and, and the salt water and the breeze of Hawaii that, that brought me to tears, knowing that I had to come back to Canada. <laughs> Thankfully, I love all of you so much, I got back on the plane. You are the only reason I got back on the plane, because being homeless in Hawaii sounded amazing. If you're going to be homeless somewhere, Hawaii's the place to be homeless. Just give up your mortgage, just walk away. But I love you so much, I got back on the plane. Okay? But Romans chapter 10 is, as a church, should completely, totally wreck us when we hear the heart of the Apostle Paul for people who don't believe in Jesus. Okay? So let me read. I'm going to read Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 21. And again, if you have a Bible with you, you can follow along. I'd encourage you to do that. I'm a big believer in everyone getting into your Bible yourselves. Don't just take my word for it. Read it for yourselves. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, there's a Bibles in the back. We'd love to give you one as a gift. If you're watching online, just put uh, send an email to me, kevin at greenbelt.church, and we will send a Bible to you. We firmly believe every family should own one. So here, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 21 says this. It says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and they sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. We've been seeing over the last few weeks for Paul is constantly explaining this difference between trying to find your righteousness through the law. In other words, religious tradition, religious expectation, religious commandments and demands. If you do these things, then God will declare you good. And there's this 
tension that the Jewish people are constantly in because they've, that's the way they've been raised. Just do the 613 commandments to become righteous. Right? And continues, verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. He says, the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ from the, up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. And that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So what is the message? So Paul kind of explains this. He's building up to this. What is this message of faith that we are proclaiming as apostles? What is Paul saying to the most civilized city in human history up to this time? He says this. This is the message. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One verse. All of this. One verse. Jesus is Lord. Every single verse in your Bible points to that. That Jesus is the culmination, the fulfillment, the completion of the law. Jesus is Lord. Believe that in your heart, that God raised him from the dead. Then you'll be saved and continue. Then he explains what happens. He says in verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. I love that word, never. (laughs) Anyone. And in the Greek, anyone means anyone. It means the people you don't like. It means the people who are very, 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 very different from us. (laughs) Anyone. Anyone. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Again, he's, Paul is speaking to a culture that isn't getting along. right? Jewish people don't like Gentile people. Gentile people don't like Jewish people. There's this cultural and social tension between these two people groups. And Paul constantly tears this down. Tears this down. He says, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Right? There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. It's the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone, again, there's that word, everyone, same as anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Nick, I love this part, how it continues in verse 14. It says, how then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. 
I'm just going to stop there for a moment. These are very familiar verses, very familiar passage. You, you hear about these verses in Sunday school. We hear about these verses in youth ministry. We hear about these verses all the time. But there's so much depth here of what it means to be followers of Jesus, what it means to be a church. And I think when we just kind of brush over these verses because they're so familiar that we actually miss out on what God really has in store for us as the body of Christ. And, 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 and while I was away last week, it was interesting. So my family and I, if you're not familiar, we, we had the opportunity to go to Hawaii. And, and the reason we went there is because my daughter is studying with YWAM. So she's there with youth on a mission. And a lot of you are praying for her and have been supporting her in that. So thank you so much for that. And she's been spending three months just focusing on her relationship with Christ, deepening her faith, seeking healing on stuff. I thought I did a good job as a dad, but we all mess up and we all screw up our kids. And so we all need the Holy Spirit to help us deal with some of the hurt and the wounds that we are all carrying. So she's been on this journey of just meeting with God and experiencing God to get built up in order to go off to the Middle East for three months. And so while we were there, we kind of made a list of things. Going, I'm in Hawaii. So what, what are the things that you just have to do when you're in Hawaii? Well, we just assumed at some point it would rain because it does rain there occasionally. So we said, if it rains, we'll go see a movie. And so we went to go see the movie. It did actually rain for about five minutes. Okay? And so in those five minutes, we made the decision to go see a movie. We went to go see the movie, The Jesus Revolution. And I love YouTube because I love how all Christians are all up in arms about these Christian movies that we make. Some love it, some hate it, and there's all this stuff. And so I don't care where you land on this debate on Christian movies. Right? But there's one scene in the movie where the pastor has to make a very hard decision. He's in a dying church. He's in a dying church where there's about 30, 40 people in the church. And the pastor has to stand up in front of his church and make a very tough decision. Will we welcome people that you don't want here? Where there was this movement among hippies in the 60s where they were coming to Jesus by the busloads, and where's a church that they can go to? And the response from the leadership of that church was not here. And the pastor got up and he said, our door swings two ways. It can open up and welcome these people in, and it also opens up, and if you don't like it, there's the door. Now, when you have to stand up in front of a dying church when you're worried about your career, when you're worried about money, paying the bills, all of these things, where does that come from? It comes from Romans chapter 10. For anyone, all of us as followers of Jesus, to say we're going to be men, women, boys, and girls that are all about the mission of God, it means you will make decisions that will upset religious people. And you have to learn to be okay with it. That's discipleship. Who executed Jesus? It wasn't the Gentiles. It was the religious people. We love to think that we would welcome Jesus. I love to think I would welcome Jesus. 
until he tells me to die to my wants and my desires. But I like my wants and my desires. I had wonderful plans for my life. (laughs) But when he steps in and he calls us to something, we have to really grasp what's being taught here. And so the big idea that I want us to kind of camp out in a little bit here from Romans chapter 10 is this. Right, is the good news that we receive, we bring to others. The good news that you have received. Remember when I asked you, when did you first hear about Jesus? <laughs> when did you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? When you received that good news, you are called to bring that good news to other people. And so to help us in our discipleship, which just means growing in our faith, I want to ask you three questions that we kind of get here from Romans chapter 10. So this is the first question I want you to ask yourself. I'm not going to ask you to answer this out loud, but you might want to jot these questions down to talk about them in your life group or talk about them as a family. So the first question is this. um, Who does your heart break for? Who does your heart break for? For the Apostle Paul, his heart breaks for the people of God. His heart breaks for the people of Israel. He says this in verse 1. He says, My heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. This is his heart's desire. Now what's fascinating is when you study Paul and his ministry, Paul's call was to the Gentiles. So he's going off to non-Jewish people because he's obeying God's call. But his heart is for his people. His prayer, even though he's doing the work that God has called him to, the Gentiles, his heart and his prayer, it's like, I know I'm working over here. But oh my goodness, my heart for these people over here is breaking. That they would know Jesus. And you actually get a bigger picture of this if you turn a page back and go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 2 and 4 says this. This is Paul talking about the Jewish people. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I... This is why this should break us. For I... So he goes, sorry. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Do you love anybody like that? I will go to hell for all eternity as long as this person gets saved. That's Paul's language for the church. See, we, man, this is where it wrecks me. When I watch movies and I talk to people over the years and where we as Christians, when we fight and we argue and we get so ippity about what I get from church. There's going to be a line in heaven with a whole lot of us apologizing before the throne of God. And I'm going to be at the front of that line. Lord, I'm sorry if I've ever made church about me and my wants and my desires and what I got from it. Because Paul's heart here is breaking so much for people who are far from God. 
that he says in the word of God. So this is inspired by the Holy Spirit here that I wish I was cursed. I would give up my place in heaven for them. Does your heart break like that? See, we sing songs like break my heart for what breaks yours. It's easy to sing. I remember I've been told I was reading a book on prayer several years ago. And one of the prayers was to break my heart for what breaks yours. And I actually had a number of Christian mentors told me, don't ever pray that. Because your heart can't handle it. And it's true. Our heart can't. If we truly allowed our hearts to be broken for the things that break the heart of God, we'd be a blubbery mess. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't allow God to maybe break our hearts a little bit. I mean, I look at, I mean, again, I was at YWAM last week and I was at a worship night on Thursday night. And I'm in a room with 3,000 teenagers worshiping God in a way that I know a lot of my Baptist pastor friends would not like and would debate and would argue over and would walk out on. And what are we doing? What are we doing? Like we can't look at 3,000 teenagers worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we have to analyze it. We have to test it. We got to say, do I like that? Would I ever want my church to be that way? And we say no, and we walk out. It's like, what are we doing? It should break our heart that there is a generation out there that is so lost and so confused. And we can laugh at people who are struggling with this stuff. We can mock them. We can be angry with them. Or we could actually let it break our hearts a little bit. But the reason why so many people are lost and confused in their identity is because they've forgotten who they are. And are we willing to be men, women, boys, and girls that say, you know what? I'll give up my spot in heaven for just one of them to come to know Jesus. That's a radically different position and posture for a church to take. And this isn't just Kevin being extra emotional. This is your Bible talking. It's the Apostle Paul talking. That's what we're called to live like. So we have to ask ourselves, who does our heart break for? For each of us, it might be someone different. It might be a particular people group. It might be a country. It might be colleagues at work. It might be for a family member. Who does your heart break for? And the follow-up question is that. You go, well, my heart doesn't break for anybody. And you got to ask yourself, why not? Why not? <laughs> and really spend some time with God. If there isn't a single non-Christian anywhere that you can't even think of going, yeah, it doesn't bother you that they don't know Jesus, right? Because Paul says, great sorrow and anguish over this, right? So that's the first question. Who does your heart break over? Second question that we have to un- really ask ourselves as the church and this is a big loaded question i realize this but the question is this and this isn't just for pastors this is for all of us can you actually present the gospel can you present the gospel in a way that's done that people actually listen to it 
I'm not saying they have to accept it or believe it, but they actually hear it as good news. <laughs> that they don't just go like, ah, this crazy person, I want nothing to do with them, and they storm off. <laughs> like, again, over the years, I have talked to a lot of Christians, people who have been in the church for decades, who have no clue how to present the gospel to today's culture. And this isn't a criticism. This isn't like trying to make anyone feel guilty. But if followers of Jesus have no clue how to present the gospel into the culture that we live in, shouldn't that be the first thing we learn how to do? Like, why study doctrine and theology? Why worry about what men can do and what women can do and how to do baptism and all of these things when you can't even bring the good news of Jesus to your family? That should be the first thing every single one of us should know how to do. Right? Like, like even the fact in here in Romans chapter 10, when it kind of just says these simple words, right, in verse 9, that Jesus is Lord. Do you understand the depth of the word Lord? We love Jesus as Mr. Rogers. We love Jesus as a good religious teacher. We, lo- we love Jesus as a good moral man to follow. We love Jesus as Savior. Jesus, though, is Lord. Right? Jesus said these words, and people go, well, Jesus never called himself God. He did. Multiple times. Right? We see an example in John chapter 13, 13. Jesus said this, You call me teacher and Lord. And the word Lord here is kurios. That's the Greek word kurios. And the word literally means supreme in authority. Supreme in authority, the controller. That's what it means. Supreme authority and control over everything. It says, well, this is what you're calling me. And Jesus says, it's rightfully so. And so now that I, your Lord and teacher, says I've washed your feet, so now you should also wash one another's feet. The Lord, the supreme authority and controller, models for the church an act of complete total humility to wash feet like a slave. Right? Lord, when, when Jesus becomes more than just Savior, when Jesus becomes Lord, suddenly our wants, our desires, our plans don't seem as important anymore. <laughs> because I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. <laughs> if I really believe he's supreme, the co- supreme authority, which he says he is, why would I want to do anything other than how he wants me to live. Because he's the supreme authority. Like, who would you rather listen to? Hollywood? Netflix? Your neighbor? All these influences that we have, well, I'd rather listen to them. I'd rather live like that. Or would you rather listen to the supreme authority who actually says... Love people and love them in a way that's going to make you so uncomfortable. (laughs) Again, there was that scene, and I didn't think I was going to quote this movie so much, but when that movie Jesus Revolution, when people left the church for allowing hippies in, the reason why they left the church 
or they got mad at the pastor. The reason they got mad at the pastor was because they said, well, these hippies are going to come in with their sandals and their dirty feet and they're going to ruin our carpet. Chris Agnew wrote a song about that called My Jesus several years ago that we're worried about the feet of Jesus ruining our carpets. Right? And that sounds silly, but it's how religion works. And so in order to appease these angry Christians, what did the pastor do that next Sunday? All the hippies were lined up and he washed all of their feet as they came in. And no one helped them. (laughs) See, that's the posture of our Lord. (laughs) The people you do not like. The people who make you very uncomfortable. Is we wash their feet. (laughs) So that they can know the good news of Jesus. Right? This again, this is tough. This is a tough message for me. This stuff wrecks me. It's again, this isn't Kevin being emotional. It's the Bible. It's what it teaches us. The most civilized city in the world. <laughs> Saying to break our hearts. Who does our heart break for? Can we present to this culture that Jesus is Lord? Like, I think actually every Christian should have Romans 10, verse 9 memorized. Right? Well, I don't really know how people can come to know Jesus. Well, Paul tells us, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's it. You're saved. That's what the Bible asks of you. So do you believe Jesus is Lord? Well, what does that mean that Jesus is Lord? Well, it means that there's only one God, creator of heaven and earth. And that he loves you so much because the way you and I are living our lives actually separates us from him. I know we don't like to talk about sin, but it's real, whether we want to admit it or not. And that sin keeps God's love so far away. But because he loves you, he wants to set you free from that. And all you got to do is say, thank you, Jesus, for being Lord. I believe that you rose from the dead to pay for my sin. The gospel's that simple. We overcomplicate it a lot. But it's really that simple. And if you believe that, Romans 10 says you're, you're in. You're part of the family. And we're all on this journey together. That you're all welcome. No matter what background you come from. So who, who does your heart break for? Can you present the gospel in such a way that it's good news to this culture? And then the last question that we have to ask ourselves that comes from Romans chapter 10, it's, are you willing to be used as what Paul, as Paul calls beautiful feet? Now, one of the things I noticed about my time in Hawaii last week is I have hideous feet. <laughs> so I, gotta, I don't know what I got to do about this, but my feet are all cracked. And I'm getting like old man toenails. And if you know what that means... You know what that means, okay? It's like, when did I be turned into my father with these feet? Anyways, it's just how it works. Um, I have hideous feet. But Paul talks about this here in verses 14 and 15. He says, uh, verse 14 says, how then can they? So he's talking about his people, the people that his heart is breaking for. So whoever your heart is breaking for, replace the they with that, with those people. How can they call on the one? How can they say Jesus is Lord? You know, sorry, how can they call on the one that they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet are those who bring good news. What Paul is doing here is he's quoting Isaiah chapter 52. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it says it, it builds it up a little bit more. And it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You see, so often we use Romans chapter 10 as a verse for missionaries. Well, we need someone to go to Africa. We need someone to go to Uganda. We need someone to go to Nigeria. We need someone to go to the Middle East. We need someone to go to Asia so that they can hear about the gospel, so that they can hear about Jesus. But here's the reality. Um, Someone needs to go to your neighbor. The mission field is not very far. Like when I look at my neighborhood and I try to count the number of people on my street who know Jesus, you know how many people I count? Four. And you know where those four people live? My house. (laughs) That's it. I don't know anybody else on my street who knows Jesus. I know people who know about Jesus but nobody who says Jesus is Lord. So I don't need to go on an airplane to go on a missions trip. I need to cross the street to go on a missions trip. But I got to ask the question, am I willing? Am I willing to be beautiful feet? Even though Pastor Kevin has very ugly feet, I want my feet to be beautiful in the sight of God. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. Okay. I thought that joke was funny too, and no one else was getting it, but you got it. Thank you. Okay. Are you willing to have beautiful feet? It's not just for missionaries. It's for everyone who wants to bring good news. That's why I love how Isaiah 52 unpacks it more for us. Like whenever the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, Go and read the Old Testament verse. It's usually richer. It's usually got more information about it. Right? Paul says, be beautiful feet. Isaiah says, you proclaim peace. When you bring Jesus to people, are you bringing peace or are you bringing strife and conflict? Are you bringing anger and hostility and judgment? Are you bringing good tidings? Are you bringing salvation? Are you bringing the reign of God into those places? Right? See, this is not a missionary thing. This is a Christian thing. All of us have to ask the question, am I willing to be used as beautiful feet? You see, Paul's deepest, deepest, deepest desire the reason why he got on boats, the reason he got shipwrecked, the reason he got bitten by snakes, the reason he got arrested, the reason why he had his life threatened was not to build up a church and make a lot of money and have a lot of power and influence and get a deal to sign books and go on a tour and travel all around the world and promote his book, even though he wrote an amazing book. 
his goal was that people who don't know Jesus would know Jesus. And he would lay down his life for that. Now, I know all of us have got plans for our lives, and there's nothing wrong with the plan for our lives if it's actually the plan that God has for your life. (laughs) Who does your heart break for? Let it break. It should bother you that people you love don't know Jesus. See, this is when we talked about in this series that what we believe about theology dictates how we live. If you're here today, and I'm not, this is not a judgment, it's not to shame or anything, but if you believe that everybody is good and everybody's going to heaven, you'll never share Jesus with anybody. You don't need to if you think they're all going to go to heaven. Now, if you think that, you can think that, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Because Paul is willing to give up his spot in heaven for those people that he loves. Who does your heart break for? Can you present the fact that Jesus is Lord into this very messy culture in a way, doesn't mean they have to believe it, but in a way that doesn't actually push them away from it. That was my experience growing up. The reason why I wanted nothing to do with church and nothing to do with God is the way it was presented to me. It's like, why would I want anything to do with these people? They were mean. They were cruel. They were liars, deceptful. It was just not good. I'll pass. Right? doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. But can we actually explain the gospel in a way that actually makes Jesus attractive to people? We have to learn how to do that better. And then are you even willing to be used by God? And this is the beauty of Romans chapter 10. It's so simple that even kids tomorrow can be beautiful feet in their schools. Even teenagers tomorrow can be beautiful feet in their schools. Even you, grown up with maybe a little bit more gray hair, can be beautiful feet in your workplace tomorrow. Because Jesus is Lord. And we just have to believe. Exactly like it says here, we just declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And then our sin is dealt with. And we're made right before a holy God. God who loves us so much that he was willing to lay down his life for people who wanted nothing to do with him. And we model that as the church. The good news we receive, we bring to others. And so maybe you're here today or maybe you're joining us online and this good news you've never fully received this for yourself. Maybe when you heard about Jesus, you were also told that you're not good enough for Jesus. When you clean up your act, then you're welcome. I want you to know today you are welcome. You're welcome in the family of God, not because of anything that you do, but simply because of what Jesus has done. Jesus left heaven. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life. He pointed people to the kingdom of God, which was now and here. And then he was arrested and crucified. 
and the wrath of God against sin, instead of it being put on humanity where it should have gone, it was put on God himself. And he was placed in a tomb, and three days later, to prove to the world who he was, that he has victory over sin and death, he was raised from the dead. And then he went around for a few days, taught people, showed people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people had seen him. And they gave up their lives as witnesses to this. And then Jesus went back to heaven and then sent the Holy Spirit to come on us to live in power over sin and death. And you can receive that just right where you are, online or in the room, by just simply declaring Jesus is Lord. Not just a good teacher, but he is the supreme authority over all things. And so God, today, I give you supreme authority over me. And if you pray like that today, online or in the room, please let us know. We would love to pray with you and rejoice with you. Because God wants this good news message that we have all received to be brought to as many people as possible. That's the call. That's the mission. That's the life. That's what should keep us up at night. That's what should get us excited. That's what should kind of drive us a little crazy when we're trying to figure out how to do it. The good news that you have received, according to your Bible, is the good news that God wants you to bring everywhere that you go. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the conviction of your word and how it reminds all of us of your plans for our lives, for your desires for the church, and just the way it speaks to our souls. Father God, forgive me when my heart has not been broken for the things that breaks your heart. Father, forgive me over the years when I thought church was all about me and what I got from it. Father, forgive me even when I think that sometimes in my role as a pastor, I should be treated a little bit nicer and I should be, receive a little bit more respect. But I'm reminded by the words of Jesus going, yeah, the world hates me. So you should be okay when the world hates you, Pastor Kevin. It's like, oh, thank you for that reminder, Lord. <laughs> and God, I pray for all of us that you would show us where we should let our hearts break a little bit more for people who are far from you. We should put aside our plans our wants, our desires, and we should be willing to lay down our lives for people who are far from you. We should be willing to wash the feet of people who are very different from us. We should be willing, like Paul says in Romans 9, to give up our seat in heaven for someone else to take it. Now, God, we're grateful that we can never lose our seat in heaven, but God, let that be our heart that we would see the people around us who are lost and hurting and broken and confused. And we would have compassion on them. We would have love for them in their confusion. And Father, build in all of us, I ask, beautiful feet. Feet that will cross the street to bring the message of Jesus to our neighbor. Feet that will cross the hallway and bring the message of Jesus in our schools. 
beautiful feet that will get on an airplane and bring the message of Jesus to the four corners of the earth. And God, use us for your glory, I ask, because we've been so blessed by your good news. So use us to bless others, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.